So how many of you guys have ever seen the show Hoarders? Or maybe you've seen the show uh, Doomsday Preppers or, uh, or something like that. Boy, those are interesting shows, aren't they? I, I remember an episode, uh, I can't remember the lady's name, but um, the, uh, the daughter was so concerned about her mother. She had been collecting stuff in her house. It was so bad until she had to literally climb to her chair to sit down where she spent most of her day. And, uh, and it was a very serious situation. The, uh, she had severe health problems, but the, uh, but the emergency personnel could not get through the house in order to get to her. And so her daughters, in the midst of the show, they, they told her um, that you are going to have to take care of this problem or else you're going to, you're going to die, essentially. And what was amazing was that the, the woman, she chose to keep her stuff instead of get the help she needed. And, and of course, we don't know what happened. The show ended, but it's just amazing how she was given that ultimatum that if you don't do something about this, you're gonna have some serious health problems. And yet she chose holding on to her stuff more than she chose her own health and, and really ultimately probably her own life. And, and we look at shows like that and we think, oh my goodness, you know, that person is so sick. But, but I really think in all honesty that in our spiritual lives, in fact, I really don't think this, I know this, sin is a sickness. If you think about it, have you ever thought about how irrational sin really is? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Why in the world would we do this? Why in the world would we want the world's approval more than God's blessing? Why would we want to heap up man's praises and the wisdom of man and the ideas of the world more than we want to see the blessings of God unleashed in our lives? Why do we do stuff like that? Because sin is irrational. It, it just do, it doesn't make sense. We, we, we decide things and do things that are to our own spiritual detriment. And, and we do this all the time. And it's, and it's a struggle that we face our entire lives. And so this morning, my, my hope, my goal this morning is to try to encourage you this week to begin uh, focusing on storing and investing and building your future in your eternal hope and not to invest and build in the things of this world. That's where we've come to in Matthew chapter six. And so I invite you to turn there this morning, Matthew chapter six and your copy of the word. Uh, you're welcome to use the uh, Bible in the pulpit in front of you. It's the same translation, although I, I failed to get the page number this week. So, uh, uh, so hopefully you'll be able to find it. But uh, Matthew chapter six, and we are continuing on uh, at verse 19. You may remember that we've been talking about uh, do not practice your righteousness in order to be seen by others because when you do that, you already have your reward. That's all, that's all you get, right? And so now Jesus is going to kind of put the, put the conclusion of that argument in these next five verses. And so I invite you to, uh, uh, to go ahead and, and read these aloud with me as we read these verses from the board, Matthew 6, 19 through 24. 
Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the reading of the word of God this morning. So, so we wanna look at this and we want to show you, first of all, again, my hope and my desire for you this morning is that you will begin to build and lay up for yourself treasures in your eternal hope, your eternal life, the kingdom of heaven, and not in the earth, not putting your hope in the earth. And, and let me just, again, kind of set the context here, set the mood of what Jesus is doing. There is an undeniable connection. Some, some people kind of tend to think that Jesus is changing the subject here, but, but there's an undeniable connection between what he's saying here and what we've been talking about throughout verse six. So like, for example, in, uh, verse six, in chapter six, verse two, you notice at the end, he talks about not, um, not practicing your generosity to be seen by others. And notice what he says. Seriously, I tell you, I am really telling you, pay attention to this, they have their reward, right? And so, and again, you look down in, um, you look down in verse, when he talks about prayer in verse five, when you pray, don't pray like hypocrites, don't pray like heathen, why? They wanna be seen by others. They think that this is gonna heap up benefits for them. And in verse five, he says, look, I'm telling you again, truly, I'm telling you, amen, I'm telling you, they have their reward, and then, of course, he goes down and talks about fasting in verse 16, like we saw a couple of weeks ago. And once again, he says, when you do this to be seen by others, what do you have? The end of verse 16, truly, I'm saying to this, amen, amen, I tell you, verily, verily, whatever your translation says, but I, am, I want you to pay attention to this, they have their reward. And so now he's clinching this conversation in verse 19. He says, do not lay up your treasures on earth. What treasures is he talking about? He's talking about those rewards that the hypocrites are trying to get on the earth, the, the things that they are trying to obtain for themselves. And, and he does get a little more specific later on. But he, all these things that they're trying to gain for themselves, he's like, look, do not store up your treasures on earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And so, beloved, we, what I see here is that Jesus is telling us we must make the kingdom of heaven our greatest priority. Our greatest priority in life must be the kingdom of heaven. And it seems so far away, right? I mean, doesn't it seem so far away that the kingdom of heaven, I mean, I mean, so far we've been waiting for it for 2,000 years. We don't know when it's coming, 
but most of us are really not planning on dying tomorrow. I don't think you woke up today and think, you know, hey, it's a nice day, birds are singing. I think I'm gonna go to heaven today. I don't think any of us really woke up that way. We're not exactly planning on it, and we don't get much of a vote of when that happens, when the Lord decides to bring us home. We don't know when Jesus is returning. And so it seems so far away, and it's something that we don't really think about. So the question is, why would we want to make the kingdom of heaven such a great priority when we are living in the here and now And what Jesus is gonna do is he's gonna give us three illustrations to explain why we should do this. Three illustrations that act as reasons why we need to be making the kingdom of heaven our greatest priority in our life today. And here's the reasons that we see. Number one, in verses 19 through 21, I want you to see, and by the way, let me just give them to you real quick, because our, our greatest priority, our priority in life is going to shape our affections They're going to shape our perceptions and they're gonna shape our devotion. They'll shape our affections. Our greatest priority will shape our perceptions and it will shape our devotion. And so let's look at the first one in verses 19 through 21. Whatever our greatest priority is will shape our affections, will shape our affections. Here he says, beginning in verse 19, he says, do not accumulate for yourself accumulations. In other words, do not store up for yourself storehouses. He's, he's kind of using this double word in the original. Do not store up stores for yourself. You don't want to do that. Why? Because what happens? Don't store it up on earth. Why? Because what happens? He says in verse 19, where moth and rust, or moth or corrosion is is probably a little better, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, everything that we amass on earth, everything that we store up for ourselves Everything that we lay up for ourselves. You know, I think of this every time I think of that show, Doomsday Preppers, you know, and they're, and they're laying up all of these storehouses of goods for, for when apparently the apocalypse is coming, which according to them is pretty soon. But you realize they're storing up all of this stuff. All of that stuff is temporary. Everything on this planet, beloved, is temporary, And it will eventually go away. Whether it is the sudden catastrophic loss of a thief digging into your house and stealing it, or whether it is the natural deterioration of the process that happens here on earth. But whatever it is, everything on this planet is temporary and it will eventually be lost. So the alternative in verse 20 But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where no one and nothing will take your rewards and take your treasure away from you. Beloved, what is done for Christ is forever. You can't take anything out of this world with you, but only what you have done for the kingdom only what you have built up and only the investments you make for eternity is what you will take with you when you meet your Lord and Savior. Now, 
Some people might argue, they'll say, well, Randy, what, what's so wrong with this? I mean, if it's so temporary, if the whole point is that it's temporary, then, then we should just amass it right now and enjoy it while we got it, right? You don't normally hear it that way. What you'll normally hear it is this way, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? And so why not hoard it all up now and enjoy it now while it lasts and so that way we can, we can have the enjoyment whenever we're gone. Because beloved, this is not just about security and safety. This is not just about safekeeping. But Jesus answers that in verse 21. He says, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Beloved, your heart is going to inevitably follow your treasure. Inevitably. In fact, there's a vital principle here that I want you to get. You've got to understand this. There is a, a vital principle that you need to understand, and that is this. Number one, our hearts will always crave to place our ultimate security into something or someone. That is, that is deep within us. That is a deep longing. Your heart will crave to place our ultimate security into something or someone. That's the first part. And that's really what we see in verses 19 and 20, right? You're going, the question is not, are you going to store your rewards? That's not the question. The question is, where are you going to? Or in whom are you going to? That's the question. You are storing your rewards. You are building your investment. You are, you are storing up and getting ready for something. That's not the question. The question is what? And so your hearts, our hearts crave to place our ultimate security into something. That's the first part. But then what we see in verse 21 is this, is that whatever we do, whatever we prioritize will mold our hearts into its own image. So this is more than about safety and security. It is about what is it that you are being molded by in your life? What is your heart being molded by? And I have it up there. Look at uh, Psalm 135. I don't have the verses, but Psalm 135, I, I want you to see this. Psalm 135 and verses 15 through 18. The psalmist says that the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. And watch this, verse 18. What's the real danger here? Here it is. Those who make them become like them. And so do all who trust in them. And beloved, whatever you make your priority, whatever you prioritize is going to mold your heart into its own image. And so our priority will shape our affections. Our priority will shape our affections. So what are the treasures in heaven that we should be storing up? What are those things? I don't think you have to look very far. Look back to the Beatitudes for the example at the very beginning of the sermon here. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then you go to the end. Blessed are those when they revile, persecuted for righteousness sake. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That kind of forms a bookend, right? So what is the kingdom of heaven? It's everything in between. And so what do we find in the kingdom of heaven? We find those who shall be comforted. It's deep emotional fulfillment. Those who inherit the new earth. In other words, the work and life on earth without fatigue, a a sense of deep fulfillment. Righteousness, those who will be satisfied in their righteousness, eternal life of sinless perfection. Those who have mercy, life unencumbered by the shame and guilt and experiencing the full reality of God's grace. And the best of all, look what it says in verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. What is the kingdom of heaven? The unencumbered, unhindered, and unrestricted presence of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, sons of the covenant, the full experience and the full benefits of the covenant of God that we are in. That's the kingdom of God. That's the rewards that we should be building. Unrestricted, unencumbered presence of God. Is there anything else greater to work toward? Is there anything else greater to invest our lives in? Is there anything else greater to to build our hope into? Why would we want our hearts to be shaped by anything else? Why would we want our hearts to be shaped by the things, by something in this world that is so temporary and so fleeting when the promises of God, the kingdom of heaven, are the things that we can be investing, the things that we can be hoping in, the things that we are building our hope in, and and hope does not disappoint, not in the biblical sense. So we are living our faith. Why would we want our hearts to be shaped by anything other than the kingdom of heaven? But make no mistake, beloved, whatever is your priority is shaping your heart. Whatever is your priority is shaping your affections. Make no mistake. The reason you get angry, the reason you struggle, the reason you are are arguing, the reason why there's, what what does James say? Why is there conflict among you? Is it not the desires of your heart? Whatever you prioritize will shape your affections and that will drive your behavior. Not only that, but in verses 22 and 23, we see that whatever is our priority, whatever we prioritize will shape our perceptions as well. Our perceptions as well. Jesus gives us three illustrations. The first one was treasure. Now the second one, he talks about the eye, and I'm, and I'm not gonna lie to you, this, one, this one's a little tricky, okay? This one, this one is, uh, is a little difficult to understand. It's a difficult statement. In fact, it is so difficult that some people will say that Matthew made a mistake of putting this verse right here. It really doesn't fit, and that Matthew just kind of pulled it out of random or the church. They won't even say Matthew anymore. They just say some random scribe in the church. Pulled it together, and this was some church teaching that they kind of they kind of inserted into the mouth of Jesus, and they just kind of put it here, and they really shouldn't have. But I want you to see, actually, this makes perfect sense why Jesus would bring up the eyes here. It's, it, there's a connection between your heart and the eyes in the Old Testament. 
And we see this over and over and over again. Like, for example, look at uh, Proverbs 4, 23. This is a verse that here at Calvary we are very familiar with because we talk about the heart so much, right? Uh, Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Why? Because from it flow the springs of life. Everything in our life flows out of the heart, right? We know that verse well. In fact, that's one of those three o'clock in the morning passages that I say you should have in your heart. But notice what it says two verses later. It says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Do you see that there is a connection between your heart and your eyes? There's a vital connection there. In the same way, in uh, Psalm 119, verses 36 through 37, here's what it says. The, the psalmist says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. He moves on. He says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Again, do you see the vital connection there between guarding your heart and guarding your eyes? Do you see that? And so what Jesus is talking about here is not out of context at all. It's actually perfectly in fitting with Old Testament understanding of the heart and the eyes and the connection. And so it, what did Eve's sin begin with? When, when, the, when, the, when the serpent tempted her with the fruit, what was the first thing she did? She saw it and it was a delight to the eyes. What was the first thing David did with Bathsheba? He saw her and then he desired her. There's a vital connection between your heart and your eyes. And so it's interesting here, Jesus turns directly to the eyes just in keeping with the Old Testament and he says, for the eye is the lamp of the body so if your eye is healthy, that word healthy is an interesting word because it actually means genuine. It means simple. It's, um, it's a word that, and I, and I believe it is translated correctly as, as, help, as healthy, but, but in some of your translations, it may say, if your eye is sound. And, and that's where they're getting that from because the word actually does not technically mean healthy. It, it means genuine or simplicity or something like that. And what Jesus is saying is that if your eyes are simple, if your eyes are sound, in other words, the idea is that like I am walking down this hall and my eye is fixed on that door. And when my eye is fixed on that door, what am I not doing? I'm not going to the right or left, right? I'm walking in a straight line toward the door. And that's the idea here, is that if your eyes are sound, if your eyes are purposed upon what they need to be, then your whole body is gonna be full of light. If your eyes are simple, if your eye is fixed on the goal, is essentially the idea here. When your, idea, when your eyes are fixed on the goal, then the whole body, i.e. the whole life, your attitudes, your perceptions, your interpretations of, of life, your, all, your, your emotions, all of that, when your eye is fixed on the goal, and all of those other things will fall in place. Remember, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what happens? 
All these things will be added unto you. You ever wonder why the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments is I am, I am Yahweh your God. You shall love Yahweh with all your heart, all your mind. You ever wonder why that's the greatest commandment? Because if you get that down, everything else kind of takes care of itself, doesn't it? Right? And so if our eyes are fixed on the goal, if our eyes are sound, if our eyes are genuine, then our whole body will be full of light. Notice the illustration is the whole body. The whole life is determined by the condition of the eye. In other words, your priorities, whatever is your priority, is going to shape your perception of everything else. Whatever is your highest priority will be the shape of everything else. So again, we're essentially saying the same thing here, right? We're just, we're just approaching it from a different direction. In fact, you're gonna see that's what all three of these are doing. They're all three illustrations of the same idea. That when our priority is set, when Christ and his kingdom is our greatest priority, then everything else will follow, right? It's kind of like, uh, you know, sometimes my glasses get dirty and, they get all foggy because I don't wear them very often. Um, I'd, I like to wear contacts. I really want LASIK surgery, but I'm too afraid of a, a laser poking my eye. So, um, but um, you know, sometimes I put glasses on after I haven't worn them for a day or two, and they've been sitting in my drawer, and they've gotten all the gunk and all that stuff on it. And I put it on, and when I put on those glasses, because the lenses are so foggy, everything else is just cloudy, right? Maybe some of you have suffered with cataracts before and when those things start to form on your eyes, everything else starts to go real blurry and real dark and, and all of those things. You look through one of these windows, everything's gonna be blue. Because beloved, the, 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 the lenses that you look through, the lens of life that you look through is gonna determine your interpretations of everything around you, your circumstances, and it's gonna have a profound impact on how you treat and how you think of others around you. And so we've got to have our eyes healthy. The author of Hebrews compares it to a race in Hebrews 12, one and two. He's, because we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race with perseverance. Why? How do we do that? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, looking unto him, keeping our eyes on the goal. Look at Philippians chapter three. Basically the entire chapter is Paul talking about this. And I invite you to turn there because I want you to see a couple of things he says. Philippians chapter three, really the whole book of Philippians, but specifically Philippians chapter three. He says, rejoice in the Lord, look out for all these others. Watch out for the dogs, watch out for those who are of the circumcision. If, if they wanna brag, I have so much more reason to brag, why? And he, and he lists all of his qualifications as a Hebrew of the Hebrews, but then notice what he is in, in, in Philippians 3, verse 7. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. 
And for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And watch this, watch his interpretation of this. It's not just that he suffered the loss, but he says all those things are rubbish to me. I count them as rubbish. Yes, I've lost them and I'm not sad about it. Why? In order that I may gain Christ. In order that I might gain Christ. And look what he says in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained or am already perfect, but this I do. I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Look down in verse 14. I press, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Jesus Christ. Understand that his, where he had his eyes fixed, it determined everything. It determined his loss, his interpretation of the loss of everything around him. It determined where he was going and what he was doing. And it even reinterpreted his past. To where even his past is now this wonderful story of redemption. That everything that God has allowed to come into my past, everything that I grew up in, everything that I experienced, God has used to bring me to himself. God doesn't just heal your past, beloved. He does something better. He redeems it. And he makes it so that now there's this wonderful reinterpretation that if my eyes are healthy, if my eyes are on Christ, then everything else is interpreted in light of Christ and his kingdom. Are you going through some suffering right now? How are you interpreting it? What's your mindset about it? Is this something that just life stinks and why is this happening to me? Is this something that God is mad at me or is this something that God is using to form me more into the image of Jesus Christ? And I may not understand it, but I'm gonna praise him for it because I know at the end, I'm gonna be more like Christ. You see, it's all about our perception. It's all about, and if your goal is to remain healthy for the rest of your life, I hate to tell you this, that goal's not gonna be met. It's not. But if your goal is for the kingdom of heaven, that is a hope that cannot be taken away from you. And I may not be as healthy as I wanna be. You know what, beloved? I, I can't get up these stairs as quickly as I could a few weeks ago because I've done something to my knee and it just will not go away and it is bugging me, and, and I went to the gym the other night to work out to, and acted like it wasn't hurting when it was, and that was a mistake. <laughs> there is something wrong with a 40-something-year-old man trying to prove that he's still 19. Don't do that. You know what? If my hope is in that, then I'm gonna interpret my knee problems right now as, a, as just a pain. But you know what? If my goal is the kingdom of heaven, then my weakness is his strength, right? It's all in your perception. It's all in your perception. What is your priority? And so it sets his goals. Christ determines what is important and what isn't. Christ even reinterprets our past. Do not turn your eyes away from Christ, beloved. Keep your eyes focused on him because whatever is your priority will shape your perceptions of everything else. I love the quote by C.S. Lewis. 
I believe in God like I believe in the Son, not because I see him, but by him I see everything else. And so, beloved, by him, through him, we see everything else. Our priority shapes our perception. And then finally, our priority will determine our devotion. Our priority will determine our devotion. Look at verse 24. Again, this third illustration. The first illustration was treasure. The second one was the eyes. And now he's gonna use slavery. Roman slavery, not American chattel slavery, but he's gonna use slavery here. And he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. No one can serve two masters. Now, some people would argue, well, wait a minute, Randy, I've had two jobs in my lifetime. I've had two employers. I've worked for two different companies. But again, remember, this is talking about slavery. This is not talking about employment. And the fact of the matter is, is that you simply cannot be a slave of two masters. You just cannot be that. You may be able to work for two different companies. You may be able to work for two different employers, but you cannot belong to two different masters. That you cannot do. And that's what Jesus is saying. No one can serve two masters. You may, you, the issue is with divided priorities. And the truth is, is that you cannot really have divided priorities. One of them is going to win out. One of them is going to prove itself to be your ultimate priority. One of them is. And this is the real point here. And this is what Jesus is getting back to. And beloved, I want you to see this. This is vital. If you don't get anything else this morning, get this, that the decision of where we place our heart or on what we fix our eyes is ultimately a decision of what master we will serve. The decision of where we place our heart or the decision on what we, uh, on what we fix our eyes or on who we fix our eyes is ultimately a decision of what master we are going to serve. That is ultimately the point here is which one are we going to be loyal to? Romans chapter six, verses 15 and 18. This, and, and for lack of time, I, I, I won't read the whole thing, but in this wonderful discussion of sanctification, Paul says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means should we do that. Why? Because do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. You know, some people might have argued with Paul's theology, and by the way, if, if you're not getting this argument, then you might be teaching a wrong doctrine. But, but Paul, you know, Paul's talking about these wonderful gifts of grace, and, and some people are arguing, well, wait a minute, if that's true, if grace is really uh, by faith alone and not by works, and if we're really saved forever, then we can just sin as much as we want to, and in fact, we might as well just sin more, right? Because after all, the more sin, the more grace. Some people were actually saying that, and some people even today accuse us of teaching that. And Paul says, by no means. Why? Because whoever you present yourself 
to obey, whether it be sin leading to death or righteousness leading to life, you become the slave of whoever that is. No man can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. It is a question of loyalty. One will win out and it will be the one to whom you present yourself to more. It will be the one whom you invest in more. And so again, what has your devotion? Our priority, whatever it is that we prioritize will shape our devotion. And and I know I've said it twice, but let me say it one more time. The decision of where you place your heart and on what you fix your eyes is ultimately a decision of what master you will serve. Ultimately. And so will you keep feeding the sin? Will you keep feeding the lust? Will you keep feeding the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and the, and the boastful pride and possessions? Or will you feed, will you sow to the Spirit? Will you invest and build your hope in the kingdom of God? You cannot do both. You cannot do both. Not at the same time. Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. Wait a minute, where did money come from? Well, the word money is, is really the word mammon. And I believe the King James even translates it that way. If someone has a King Jim out there, you can verify that. But you know, the word mammon is not necessarily money. It's anything that we put our confidence into, which most of the time is gonna be money, right? And so anything we put our confidence in, this is a bit misleading. But there's a very clear connection to money and wealth. There's a clear, logical connection that whatever we place our heart and whatever we fix our eyes on is a decision of what master will serve and whatever we have to place our confidence in is whatever is going to help us serve that master. Right? And that's why God, that's why Jesus says you cannot serve God in money because you're putting your confidence in something, whatever it is, that's going to help you serve your master. And Jesus presents wealth. There's nothing wrong with wealth. I know some very crazy wealthy people. And in some cases, they are the most generous people I've ever met in my life. In other cases, they're jerks, but that's beyond the point. But Jesus presents wealth as a potential God. Why? Because money comes with it a tremendous temptation. It doesn't do anything for you. All it does is reveal your idols. That's all it does. Because now you can afford them. And so that's all money really has the power to do. Nothing wrong with money, nothing wrong with having money. And keep in mind, we're not talking about things like saving up for retirement here. We're not, we're not talking about all that stuff. The Proverbs presents that as wise, okay? And, and a wise man leaves inheritance for his children's children. That, that Jesus is not contradicting that, okay? But on the other hand, money does give a tremendous temptation to reveal our idols because now we can afford them. And so, essentially, whatever we prioritize, whatever, whatever we make as our greatest priority is going to shape what we're devoted to and what processes and what we place our confidence in. 
And so Jesus presents two ways to live, essentially. Is it gonna be treasure in heaven or on earth? Is it gonna be living in light or darkness? Or is it gonna be serving and worship God or whatever we trust to meet the other desires of our heart? Whatever we prioritize is going to shape our affection, it's gonna shape our perceptions, and it's gonna shape our devotion. So beloved, my hope for you this morning is that you will turn away from hoping in earthly things, whether they be material or otherwise. And instead, we will invest our hope on our eternal home and the kingdom of heaven. Just like we say here at Calvary, our three pillars, knowing the faith, living the faith, sharing the faith. What we're talking about this morning is living our faith, living in light of what we believe, our, our conviction, and living out in light of our conviction. So what do we need to do this? How do we keep our eyes on Christ? How do we invest in the kingdom of heaven? Let me leave you with just a few practical tips. Number one, we mentioned uh, Psalm 119 earlier. Make sure that you're planning time every day to keep your eyes fixed in the scriptures. And turning, make sure you have at least a small time every day where you are turning your eyes away from worldly things and focusing them on the truths of scripture. Make time for that every day this week. Start small. But then when you do, and, and like I said, we've taught you the Philippians 4, 8 questions, right? Whenever you're in a passage of scripture, what is true about this? What is noble about this? What is trustworthy about this? What is, you know, all of those things, right? How, how, what, is, what is livable about this? All of those things we talk about. Use that as a guide for helping you in your quiet time. And then once you close up your quiet time, as you go throughout the rest of the day, reflect on it at different times throughout the day. Saturate your mind in the scriptures. Don't just close your Bible and go live your life, but, but come back to it often throughout the day. And let me, can, let me ask you to consider this as well. Consider your relationship to finances. Consider your relationship to finances. What are you spending your money on? What's the primary thing that your finances is buying for you? And I'm not talking about paying bills. I'm not talking about your, I'm talking about your, your extra discretionary income, whatever you want to call it. What does that reveal about your heart? First Timothy six, warn the, warn the rich among you, do not put your confidence in riches, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Don't put your confidence in riches. Don't put your confidence in your retirement. Don't put your confidence in those things. Put your confidence in your eternal home. And then finally, remind yourself often of the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself multiple times in the week. I would say multiple times a day. Every passage you read in scripture, ask yourself, how does this either reflect the gospel, point to my need for the gospel, or how does it reveal the gospel to me? And so remind yourself, preach yourself of the gospel every day. And beloved, you see the table before us, that's what we're going to do today is we're going to provide a visual gospel to you. 
The bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. The the cup represents the blood of Christ that was spilled for us. And that is what we do here. What we do preaches the gospel for your eyes and for your other senses, what preaching does for your ears. It presents the gospel. And beloved, let me tell you, I know there's some question about how often we should do it. And, and Jesus says, uh, as often as you do it, do, I think we should err on the side of often, not seldom, right? But beloved, however often you do it, let me just encourage you with this. Two of my three kids were saved because they observed communion and started asking questions. And that's what led them to the gospel. And so, beloved, I I encourage you this morning, let's take communion in a way that will reflect the gospel. And if you're here this morning, what we are about to do, and you don't know Christ, what we are about to do, we want you to ask questions about it. We want you to ask what it means because what we're about to do is a visual gospel. This ordinance is about the grace that's given to you so that you may know Christ and know him in life And in everything we do, it's the grace to go throughout the week. It is the gospel.